You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. All right, we're going to use this again this morning until I get rid of this hemes, whatever kind of hemes this is that I got. It's been, it's been tough to shake, that's all I'm telling you. I want to welcome you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. And I'm grateful that you're here. I pray that the word that's spoken today is the word that the Lord has for us today that will apply it to our lives. It'll sink down into our hearts and it won't just stay there, but it'll come flowing back out as we go out in our community this week and speak to others about the hope that we have within us. I got, uh, I titled this the end of the beginning of the New Testament church. This is just the beginning, but I know we've been working on this for a couple weeks, maybe a, a month or a little over a month. And I and I'm, I'm really sorry about last week. I, I don't know how it came out. I guess it came out okay. Some people say it was good, and some people said they were sleeping through part of it. But I'm telling you, I had the worst fever. I, I, was, I thought I was going to fall over up here, but somehow we made it through to the end, and I, this stuff is just hanging on. So it'd be in prayer for me this morning, and, um, and uh, that I can get shook of this, and, and we can uh, do better. Um, I really, t- it's very important to me. I believe that I've been called to be the pastor of this church, and I believe that I've been called to to bring the message, and it's it's not. I don't take that lightly. I don't take you know delivering a, a sermon or something like that, or serving you guys as a as a shepherd, or visiting you in your homes or any of those things. I don't take any of that lightly. And so it's tough when you're kind of winged, you know. Uh, you still want to do a good job, but at the same time, you're just barely crawling along. So bear with me all. <coughs> and it's got worked down into there. So now once it comes loose, it's, it's bad. It's bad. All right, Romans 15, 14 is where we kind of knocked off last week. It says, now I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. So we begin on this back in Acts there um, three or four weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, or how long it was, and talking about the beginning of the New Testament church and how we've gotten very far from that in many ways as a culture, but not just us, but you know Europe before us and even the early church, uh, going back way back to Constantine, when they tried to incorporate you know pagan things along with Christian things, trying to be more appealing to more people, and and that's the problem is um, as the as believers in Christ, our goal isn't to be appealing to all people. Paul did say that I've become all things to all people that some might be saved, and while he did um, seek to reach people where they were at, he never um, he was never heretical in his speaking about the gospel. He never. He never changed the gospel in order to fit in with what they were doing or the sins that they were committing, trying to appease them in their sinfulness. Instead, he tried to point out that in their sinfulness, they could still be made acceptable to God if they would but accept Christ and seek him first. And so in that early church we saw, it says those who gladly received his word were baptized. And we had a little little girl this morning came to me and said, I want to be baptized. And uh, even I was a little trepidatious. We have, we baptized in January and February before but man, that lake is cold right now. And I said, can we wait a week or two or something, you know? And she's like, oh, sure. But she's ready. And that's exciting. That's a product of the, the gospel that's been presented here in the church and, and her receiving the gospel through, you know, Pastor Terry or others here. And, and now she wants to be baptized. It's what it says, that the early church was identified by their desire to be baptized into the church. They were acceptable, accepted with one another as they were baptized into Christ, one with another, and then they received the word. So first they received the gospel. Then they were baptized into the fellowship. Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So the apostles' doctrine was that what the apostles had been taught by Christ personally. And then they were continuing in that. And the things that the apostles know that they had been taught from by Christ were not, you know, a first and second Peter and first and second Thessalonians and, um, and Galatians and Corinthians. It was Genesis Exodus, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah, that's the things that they were taught. And that's the same things that we use today to reach other people that are lost. We don't start with the gift of salvation. We start with the law and we lead them to the gift of salvation. Without the law, even even Paul said the law was the tutor that brought him to Christ. It was the maestro. It was the one that instructed and brought the person to an understanding of their need for the gospel. If I don't know what I'm, that I'm a sinner, if I don't know that I'm lost, well, then what do I need to be saved from? If I'm not drowning, if I'm standing on the beach, I have no need of a lifeguard. 
It's only if I'm in the ocean over my head and the waters of the deep have surrounded me and I reach my hand up, that's when I need a lifeguard. But if I don't know that I need it, if a lifeguard's standing there, he's like, here, let me put this ring around you and then I'll hold onto this rope and fish you out into the sea and I'll fish you back. You're like, man, don't get that off. What do I need that for? I'm not even in the water. So we got to help people identify their need for a savior. And we do that by using the 10 commandments is probably one of the best ways. We can go to the Romans road for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But if we give them the gospel before we help them understand who they are when they're separated from God in Christ, when they're separated from God because they have no savior, if they don't understand that they're separated, then to tell them that they are joined with him, you're, you're, you're skipping a crucial step. So they had to use the apostles' doctrine in order to bring people to the gospel. The next thing was fellowship. That was the believers meeting one with another week after week. Actually, they were meeting daily. We tend to meet once or maybe twice a week. Maybe we listen to Christian radio or something here and there. But theirs was daily, and it really contributed to the growth of the church because believers met more often with one another, encouraging one another in the apostles' doctrine. So the apostle wasn't necessarily in every fellowship every day. But the guy that knew the apostles' doctrine that had been taught by the apostles would be able to share something that those guys had already mentioned. And they, it was a large part of their conversations with each other. We saw that this morning in that Psalm 50 about the conversation. It's a conversation that we have with God that brings closeness to him. And so they had that conversation and they were using the gospel as they spoke to one another. Many times if we haven't seen another Christian for a while and we run into him again and we see him, we don't immediately go to where are you at spiritually. In fact, we can have a whole conversation with them, talk about their kids and their life and their career and their car and their house and whatever it is they're doing for a living and, and never mention the gospel. And that's a shame. These people continued steadfastly that means they did it all the time in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayer so they went house to house breaking bread not just in communion but in eating with one another getting to know one another and they were very reliant on one another because of the persecution the church grew because of the witness and the example that the christians had with each other especially as persecution came on them the church grew because these people had well, you know, we like to say, well, I got your back. They had each other's back. They were able to serve one another. They were all in poverty together. They all suffered together, and the church grew in that. And we see the production of that even today, maybe not in the U.S., but we see it in China, Afghanistan, Iraq, and places like that where there's heavy persecution, but somehow the church is growing. The church grows because those that are believers, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. It still works today. That's what works. The, the last next last step was them telling their neighbors. It wasn't just everybody bringing the guy they met on the street and then bringing them to the apostle and saying, tell them about Christ. The apostle taught them, and then they went and spoke to their neighbors. And we talked about that last week, I believe. I think I remember that we did say something about that. That we, uh, you know, if you want your neighborhood to be better, you want, um, you want Memphis to get better, uh, then people are going to have to go down there and reach the neighbors in Memphis with the gospel. That's the only way it's going to get better. If you want your neighborhood to get better around here, you're going to have to reach your neighbors with the gospel. And as they begin to live a God-fearing life, their example of their life will be different than it was before, and their neighborhood will look different, and their marriages will look different, and their children will look different. And they might even mow their yard more. Who knows? So eventually, we get further on up, to, we get to the time of Paul writing to the Romans. And Paul is going over these principles to these in Rome or in Corinthians. And it was a very wicked culture. And in that wicked culture, like we have today, where we have, you know, pornography is prevalent and, and just, the, just the complete demise of our culture of what it was, not even maybe 20 or 30 years ago, things that weren't common 20 and 30 years ago is very common now. And the culture is trying to tell us as believers that this is what we need to accept if this person says that they, they don't know what they are, if they're a man or a woman or an or a animal, they don't know. And we're supposed to just accept that of them and say, okay, you call yourself a cat, therefore you're a cat. And so their culture, Rome was just like that. You think it wasn't. It was just like that. Homosexuality was rampant. Abuse of children was rampant. Murdering children was rampant. Sacrificing children was rampant. Feminism was super rampant. 
socialism was rampant. The use of the military for improper means of trying to, you know, overstretching the military, going to every country in the world and trying to make them all Romans and things like that, that was rampant. Their money was devalued because they were printing, they were making more money, they put no silver in the money, eventually it had very little silver in it. They called that clipping, where they put less and less silver in it. That's what we've done with our money. It was the, it's the same picture. So Paul, how did Paul reach the people of Rome, or how did he meet them in Corinth? Well, they had all these idolatrous things around, and Paul said, well, look at this idol. And then they said they looked at the idol, and he goes, this is the idol to the unknown God, but I can tell you who that God is. So he used the things of their culture to describe to them what they were thinking and, and how they were off track in that, and he was able to direct people to the gospel. But also in Romans and Corinthians, he's got a problem, just like we got a problem in our churches today, and that is that Christians were so secularized that they had taken the things of the culture and brought them into the fellowship, adultery and fornication and different other kind of craziness, uh, women you know, giving up their natural role, men giving up their natural role, they lost the authority structure, they lost the structure of the home. They lost the structure of the fathers raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Mothers being mothers to their children and not going and doing their own, you know, separate life from their families. Um, divorce was rampant. And so Paul's like, all right, Christians, we're not supposed to be this way. This is how we're supposed to be. And so he goes back through and outlines again in Romans, Corinthians, both Galatians, and he goes through those again, and he says, all right, let's, let's bring it back over here. Let's get back to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and in prayers, and in reaching our neighbors again. We've just got to circle the wagons. We've got to get this back under check, right? And then we can keep going uh, forward there. <clears throat> so what he says here, after he gives them this pretty severe speech in, in Romans, he gives them this kind of conclusion there in, 14, uh, in 15, 16 of... Um, now I am confident concerning you. So he gives him a pretty good spanking, verbally. And then like a good uh, coach, he says, but I know you guys got the picture now. I know you understand what I'm saying. And uh, concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness. You are filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. And he says, nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Part of the part, part of the reason we come to church, part of the reason we fellowship with one another is that we can remind one another of, of what, what team we're on, what game we're playing, who the enemy is, and what, what our battle plan needs to be for each week. So that's part of what we're doing there. So it's no less true for the body of Christ today. We need to be pouring out of our fullness and using our spiritual gifts and abilities. And I just wanted to finish up one little part here before we go forward into a new book or something. Um, and that is the spiritual giftedness of each believer that, that Paul is talking about. You know, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, that's where you're going to find your spiritual gifts listed for the most, but that's probably the primary three places that you'll find that in the New Testament. There are little dibs and dabs here in other places, um, but this is the primary three. If you want to go and, you know, you want to study up on spiritual gifts and that, that's where you go to, to figure out. So, so 12, 12, and 4. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. But there's different gifts for different people, and, they, and the gifts work in the fellowship of believers when all people use their gifts to their fullness as they're capable of doing. You've all been filled, the Bible says you've been filled, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a cup, it's the picture of a cup. Uh, you know when you get a cup of water and you get that kind of bubble on top where it's got the tension thing that water does? Have you ever seen that? And it's fine, it's like a little bubble until you barely move and then it breaks and rolls. That's the picture of the be ye being filled. It's being filled overfilled to the fullness. So your spiritual gift in you should be filled to the fullness to the overfilled so that if I shake you, it should spill over and it should get on other people. If I'm completely uh, soaking wet, you know, everybody wants to hug after they, after they, have, um, after they get baptized, right? A person's completely soaking wet, right? And they're like, oh, thank you, Pastor. And I'm like, I'm still kind of dry from like here up, you know, but not now because they're soaking wet, right? And then they hug me and now I'm soaking wet. And so I repay the, the uh, gift there and I go hug other dry people that are standing out there so they know how I feel all wet and squishy. 
But that's the point of the spiritual giftedness. You're this cup, you're filled to this bubble on top, and when you move, the bubble breaks and it overflows and it drips as I, as I move along the path. People should be able to see if I got out of baptizing, I'm baptizing in the water, and I'm walking up a, a, a old paved driveway, there should be some wet footprints behind me. It should be obvious where I went because I'm overflowing with the Spirit, and it should be obvious that I've been there. There should be drips of water and wet footprints. There should be wet people around me that I've touched, right? No? Many spiritual gifted people are very good at keeping it all for themselves. It's like getting a new football at Christmas and then you take it out and you show it to your friends and they're like, let's play football. And you're like, well, I don't want to scratch my new football. Like, it's only fun if we play with it with our friends. And we're like, we're like Lucy and Peanuts, remember? Every time Charlie Brown went to kick the ball, she snatches it out of the way and he, he falls on the ground. And that's how we are with our spiritual gifts. We're like, I could give you this. I had a, a person tell me that one time. She said, don't ask me to do anything here. I'm done serving here. I'm done talking here. I'm done reading here. I'm done praying here. And I'm thinking, well, then you should leave. You should go where you can be used and your spiritual gift can be used. If you're done using your spiritual gift here, then, then you're no good to us. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians. Read this real quick. 1 Corinthians 12. People get their feelings hurt, they say things like that, and they mean it or they don't. But be careful, words have power. First <coughs> <coughs> uh, Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Why do you have a spiritual gift? Because it's for, the, it's for me. Your spiritual gift is for me, and my spiritual gift is for you. It's for you collectively, and yours is for me collectively, all of us. It's not for you to save all for yourself. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another differing kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all of these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And it goes on to describe it, you know, can the foot say to the hand and so on. If you got a gift, it's not for you, it's for me. It is for you. But it's for me as well. <coughs> Excuse me. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I, and I really wanted to emphasize this last week, but I almost croaked up here. But right at the time when I was getting to that, I'm like, ah, let's just wrap it up. I should have wrapped it up sooner. I'm sorry. But um, it's not that more Pauls aren't really handy to have around. Paul is this guy, he's like got all the spiritual gifts to this point of ridiculous. And I've met a few people like that, very, what would I say? I don't want to say, you know, okay, we'll say spirit-filled, just in the fact that they're willing and able to use any opportunity to use any spiritual gift in that moment, okay? And that's Paul. Paul says, I wish you guys could speak in tongues as much as I do. I've spoke more in tongues than any of y'all. I w oh, no, I'm sorry. And prophesy. <laughs> That's what he said about prophecy. I wish I could. I wish you guys could speak and prophesy. I, is prophecy more important than tongues? I wish you could speak in tongues like I speak in tongues. I wish you could prophesy like I can. We got a Paul. We don't need more Pauls. Actually, we need more Pauls. We could use more Pauls. But what we also need is we, more, we need more prophets. And we need more healers. And we need more servers. And we need more hospitality people. We need more administrative people and we need more teachers and we need more pastors and we need more ministers, it says, of the gospel. And we need more evangelists. We need more of all of those. We need more musicians. We need more people with greater faith. We need more people with greater hope. We need all of those. And I believe, and I know it's true, I know it's true that in this fellowship right here, this is the team, Mm -hmm. And in this fellowship, I know that all those gifts are represented to some extent or another, but many people are sitting on their hands in the gift that they have. 
I don't know why. I do know why. We get scared. We get nervous. We get uh, afraid that we'll botch it. Um, and all these spiritual gifts are given, it says, with love being the key thing. Remember that in Romans. If I have not love, I'm but a clanging symbol. I'm just making a bunch of racket. I can have a big spiritual gift. I could even raise someone from the dead. But if I'm arrogant and prideful in it, nobody will see the person raised from the dead as coming from God. And so it's just a waste of time. And Jesus said of those that did those things, you know, Lord, I did this in your, in your name. I did that. And he said, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. Because you did that for you. And you didn't do it in love. And you didn't do it for me. I fed the poor. I took care of the weak and the sick. Yeah, you did that for you. It made you feel better about you. But you didn't do it for me. If you'd have done it for me, I would have said, enter in, um, son of the most high God, good and faithful servant. Right? So it depends on the, the pretext of the operation. Why did you do it? All of these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, it says that those are for the equipping of the saints, the different ministries in Romans, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy. All of those, any of those, all of those are necessary for the growth of the individual person whose gift it is and also for the development of the fellowship. So all those gifts through their application with those, we can complete the thought of this in Romans, back in Romans at 15 again, fulfilled and able. Full of goodness, first thing, the gift that you possess is stabilized by goodness, and that's that old, we've talked about this before, that old English word that comes from the word godness. So I want to be godlike in the things that I am doing. I want to be in the image of God, created in the image of God I am, Growing into the image of Christ with the mind of Christ and in the things that I'm doing are not coming from my flesh, but according to my spirit. When I'm doing the things according to my spirit, it's going to have a greater effect than the things that I do, much greater than things I do according to my flesh. Full of goodness. And it says, filled with all knowledge. That is, that I'm rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm looking at the word of truth. I'm growing in the word of truth. I understand the word of truth. I'm able to develop the word of truth and give it to someone else. Again, it says knowledge, but Paul says about knowledge, it puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. If I got a whole bunch of scriptures memorized, it isn't just so that I got a bigger stick than you and I can club you on the head every time I see you with how brilliant I am in the handling of the word of God. That's not the point. That's not the point. It's, it's not also, it's his rightly dividing the word of truth correctly understanding what the word means. It's not my perception of what the word of truth is. It's what the word actually means. And in applying that to my life and putting it into effect in the proper way of what the word of truth told me to do, uh, spoke to my spirit and told me how I'm supposed to act in this situation or that, caring for the widow and the orphan in their distress, the afflicted and the oppressed, those in prison and, and in chains for the gospel, and the work that I'm supposed to do for those people, loving my neighbors, myself, um, loving the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. When I have those and I have them properly applied to my life, the natural outpouring will be the water shaking visual again, and it will overflow onto people around, and they'll see that and be like, okay, this person is a man of God because he acts like God acted. He acted like Christ acted. Be careful attributing the idea of this guy is a godly man because you saw him be nice to someone somewhere. Because God knows the heart. Man looks on the outside, we're really good at putting on a show. God knows the heart. You make sure that your heart is in tune with God, you're correctly understanding the word of truth, and you're applying it in that way. And the last thing it says, and able to admonish. The I'm full of goodness, I'm filled with all knowledge, and I'm able to admonish one another. And it's not just the, the, the Sunday morning beatdown. I'm going to come in and I, I question a woman of why she's wearing the clothes she's wearing. Those are distractive. And why is your kid running around the sanctuary and acting that way? You should be a better parent. It's why is your, you know, why did you park in that spot? You know, that's a handicapped spot and there's, you know, some crippled, lame or crazy person that should have parked there instead of you. It, that's, not the, that's not what it's talking about. It's making sure that we have a solid understanding of the word of God and how can we uh, grow spiritually together. The purpose is to help us to lead God, direct, and edify those that are weaker in the faith than we are so that when we go out there day by day, we don't trip and stumble over the same things we were tripping and stumbling over the day before. 
We're coming in here, we're rebooting, we're being encouraged, we're building up, we're building the fellowship, we're breaking bread, we're praying together. And in all those things, we were getting stronger spiritually and our spiritual gift is being developed. Different spiritual gifts, different people, different activities, different ways of applying them. So um, the purpose of being filled with all knowledge is to help those who are filled with less knowledge purpose of having the ability to admonish is so that we can keep someone from fouling up where we have fouled up in the past. I've experienced this. This is where this leads. If I was you, I would stop while there's still time. It says, he who prophesies edifies the church. That's 1 Corinthians 12. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. And in verse 26, at the end there, it says, and we're talking about 1 Corinthians 12, let all things be done for edification, verse 31, that all may learn and all be encouraged. This uh, one family one time, they had some kids, and they were pretty good little singers. They were okay. I mean, they weren't the Pointer Sisters or anything. They were just okay, you know? And I said, well, man, it'd be great if you'd let your kids sing in front of the church. And they said, well, our kids aren't performers. Well, I know. They're little kids. They're, I mean, they were okay. They weren't great. They were just okay. But your kids aren't singing in front of the church for you or for them. They're doing it for me. And you're teaching your children that the purpose of the singing in front of the church, I'm going to tell you that Loretta singing in front of the church is a big deal. She doesn't, you know, personally, she doesn't feel like she's a good singer. But she wants to give to the fellowship. And so she wants to sing in front of the church. She wants to help edify the church. And maybe that encourages you, who is a good singer and is sitting there on your hands, to say, well, if Loretta can do it, I can do it. Thank you, Loretta, for doing that. I appreciate it. You can thank her later. Mm. I mean, what's the gift that you're sitting on right now that you're not using? Uh, I don't know if I said it last week or not, but I don't really have a problem with a bunch of old people coming to church. I mean, they got to go somewhere, right? What I have a problem with is old people coming to church and sitting on their hands because they're filled with the gospel. They're like the Dead Sea filled with millions and billions of dollars of wealth, but there's no water flowing back out of them. I don't have a problem with young people coming to church. I don't have a problem with young people being lazy and sitting on their hands. It's the, the fellowship is for the fellowship. It's for all of us. And when we all serve together, when we all share our gifts with one another, the fellowship gets developed and it begins to bloom. And then eventually the walls of the church can't hold it. And they will go out and minister outside the door. That's where the ministry is. This is just the encouragement. This is where we go, you know, we, we shine up our armor and we get a little, we get some groceries for the energy for the, to go back there in the battle that we're going to have to go to outside the door every week. That's, that's what this part is. This is the development of saints. And then we go out there and we go do the hand-to-hand -hand combat out there. And then we come back in here. We're all scratched up and beat up and been beat down by people that have mocked us and teased us and, and whatever else happened to you during the week. And then we can come and share the different things, the different experiences that we had with each other, with people out there where we were... Um, however we were treated out there by the world, we can come back in. And in those that have the gift of healing can come in and come alongside us and pray with us and help us to heal. And those that have the gift of encouragement or exhortation can say, oh man, next time if they said this, what if you said that? And you're like, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that next time. That's a good word right there. And so we can build each other up so that we're ready to go back out there and, and do it again another week. We can't get tired in doing those things. I got a scripture for you. You may not like it. <laughs> Isaiah 32, 9. I'm afraid. <laughs> Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a year and some days you will be troubled, you complacent women. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent ones. Strip yourselves, and, and it implies before I strip you, says the Lord. Stop being lazy. Get to getting, get to doing. Not just ladies, of course, men too. The same could be said for men who are spiritual slackers. But the body of Christ is supposed to be getting to work amongst the nations. 
and amongst one another. So I know if a person's a good enough preacher, we've seen it here in Cumberland County, you know, it seems like we always have one church that's like really, you know, blooming and blossoming and it becomes this real big, you know, uh, Central did that years before, Cumberland Fellowship or, or Revolution Church. It's like always there's this one that really seems to be, you know, growing. And, and part of it is the, the personality of the pastor or the, or maybe the spirit's there in some cases. Um, it can it could be a number of things. You know, some of these churches you go to. There's one in Atlanta has over 25,000 people that come every Sunday, and that one in Houston, Joel Osteen's church, it has I don't know 40,000 people or something ridiculous shows up. Um, God's plan for the fellowship was not that you would have these giant assemblies. It's not bad to have a giant assembly. There was he fed the 5,000 to 3,000 and so on. It's not bad to have a giant assembly. God's goal is that all men everywhere might be saved. So the people come into the fellowship to be developed spiritually, edified, which in, um, that means to build, you know, in Spanish, edification. When they use that word, they're talking about a building, edifice. We don't use that word anymore, but edifice is just a building. But to build, to edify is to build something up. So we come in here and we build one another up. This is the... This is the gym. This is the spiritual gym where we build each other up and we get, our, we get our nutrition right and we get in better shape. And that way there we can take what we've gotten, we can use it with one another. There's a practice, you know, practice room right here too. And then we can take what we learn and then we can go out there and we can put it into, into action. And the next week when we botch it, we come back in here and then we, we get back in shape again. Uh, just the last thing on spiritual gifts. A lot of people say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is or where can I serve. Do something. The best one I ever heard was, what, wh whatever you find joy in, in the doing of, that's where your spiritual gift tendency is most, most likely. Um, it, it's really hard for us. It's really hard for me to observe someone else. I'll make it personal. I observe Charlie Alva. Me and him have been around together a lot. I observe Charlie Alva and I see where he's gifted at, right? And one of two things happen. I say, why doesn't, why don't, why doesn't he do, he's a, he's a good um, counselor. He's really good at counseling people, an exhorter, right? And he's pretty good at discernment. I think uh, Cindy might got him beat in the discernment department, but he's pretty good at discernment. And so that's, that's that team right there, counselor and discernment, right? And I'm like, well, you know, I want to be as discerning as Cindy. But if it's not my gift, discernment can turn out to be critical, just criticizing everyone. It's not really discerning. It's, it's not your gift. You're just a critic. So, but you might be really good at counseling. You might be very good at serving somewhere, hospitality or giving you know, uh, people said that before, you know, why do you give these people that are down on the why do you give them money? Why do you give them a place to stay? Why, you know, that's my gift. I, I can't tell you why. I don't know why. But don't dog me and my gift. You use your gift. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be gifted in the way that I'm gifted. You use your gift in the way that you're gifted, and I'll use my gift in the way that I'm gifted, and the body itself will gain the increase. I'm not a good teacher. No, nobody told you how to teach. But you're really good at uh, mopping and cleaning and serving, and you don't seem to care about cleaning up little babies. Do that, because we need that too. You know, I don't really want to take care of children, but I don't, mean to, I don't mind to go pick them up. Okay, do that. There's a number of things you could be doing. Do that. Proverbs 24, 16 for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. When we goof up at home, this is my, oh man. One time uh, Renetta was uh, tiptoeing across the ice. We were running late for church, which was not uncommon. It's still not. And um, I'm like, come on, let's go. She goes, well, I want to close the, the well house door. I'm like, oh, I jump out of the car. I was like, just get in the car. And I go taking big steps out there. And I mean, it was just like the movies. Slip, flew in the air and fell flat on my back, knocked the wind out of me, about killed me. And then uh, and I low crawled back to the car, you know. And um, But I didn't just lay there. But somehow, uh, and I'm not saying I was the most righteous man at the time, but I did fall. Um, 
But somehow, very few things in life do we give up as quickly on as we do spiritual things when we don't do it to the extent that we think we should have accomplished some spiritual feat. You know what I'm saying? We'll give it a try, and it didn't work out. I tried to give the gospel to some guy, you know, especially in Spanish. You know, I'm going to South America, and I'm just starting to go there, and I'm not very good in Spanish, and I'm trying to use a Bible track. And the guy's like, yeah, thanks. And he puts his bucket and walks on. You know, so what are you going to do? You're going to stop? It didn't work. I tried, and he, he rejected the gospel. So I must not be an evangelist. Goodness, man, if, we, if everybody quit the first time they failed in everything in life, we wouldn't have anything. Everything hard, everything really good in life requires effort, truly. I always go back to the, the, the uh, water skiing versus riding on an inner tube. They put five-year-old children on inner tubes. It's hard to learn to water ski. But there's a lot more satisfaction in water skiing than there is in tubing. You actually, it took effort. You had to learn to do it, and now you're better at it. You're better than someone else. It took effort or writing in cursive, or learning another language, or whatever it is. If it was easy, everybody would do it, but it's hard, and you decided to do it, and you can do it, and you completed that, but in spiritual things, the first time something hard comes up, you quit, but God is able. Is he able? He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until that day, He's doing the work in you. Why are you quitting? If you quit, if you're the vessel that he's using and you quit, you've made yourself worthless to God. It's terrible. He says, run with endurance the race that is set before you. And the Bible says, exercise yourself for the purpose of godliness. Nobody, well, there's one that I can think of sitting over there, likes to run. Nobody. You can say you like to run. That's a lie. What it is is... You don't want to be pudgy, and therefore you run, right? But it's in the running, and you know who you are, Amanda. It's in the running, it's in the nutrition that we don't like to go through that makes us suitable for the work that we've got to accomplish. Nobody likes to exercise. Oh, I get an adrenaline rush. Lie. You just don't like being fat. You're willing to put the effort out You're willing to put the effort out in order to have an effect, to have a result over here. Spiritually, if we're going to run with endurance the race that is set before us, if we're going to exercise ourselves for the purpose of godliness, then we're going to have to put some sort of effort in here so that we can have success over here. If I never study God's word, if I never memorize the Romans road or, or memorize the Ten Commandments so I could use the Ten Commandments to help express the sinfulness of man to a sinner and a lost person, then I'm not going to be effective when I go try and talk to the guy. And I say, well, you know what the Bible says, you know, okay, you know, you know it's wrong to like, uh, what, tell a lie. And you're vague because you haven't put the exercise in and you haven't built your body up. Endurance is built up over time. It's not a, it doesn't just happen overnight. It comes over time. It comes over exercising and, and denying yourself and putting on the whole armor of God. And it, it takes effort. You need to put the effort in. So the most successful Christians are those who exercise, who run with endurance, who seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And then we look at that person and go, man, why are they so successful? Because they exercised. Because they were prepared for the endurance. It's, it's, you know, it's a hard race. It's a long race. A lot of people, they get the gospel, they receive the gospel, and they shoot up. Remember how the parable of the soils? And they shoot up, and then the sun burns down and they wilt. Or it also says that the, the thorns and the thistles shade out their, their life. The worries of the world, it says, shade out their life, and they wilt. It's a long race. It's not a quick race. It's not a quick sprout. It's a sprout and a long run. You're, you're making an oak tree, not a wheat. It's a long run. Okay. Ephesians 4, I wanted to read this to you. Ephesians 4, starting in 12. So in in, uh, 11 is where he starts going through the spiritual gifts. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. A couple things there. You're, so I am, uh, it's like the guy that's leading the, uh, the bicycling class or the kickboxing class that stands in the front and he's demonstrating the different exercises or the speed of the rider and all that stuff. I would demonstrate for you, but I don't want to embarrass myself up here. And uh, the yoga moves so that the rest of the class knows what they're doing. That guy is preparing the people that are there that are observing, preparing them for the exercises to get them in better shape so that they can go and put that extra energy and so on to use in their life. The pastor, the teachers, the ministers, the ones that work here in the fellowship, that uh, the evangelists that teach you to evangelize better, those guys are doing that to equip you, to edify you, to build you up, to strengthen you for that day of suffering that is to come. There's a day, it's in Matthew 24. There's a day coming, it's gonna be terrible. And it says, those that do not have persistence and perseverance, even the elect might be led astray. Even the elect. How is that possible? It's because they never built up. They never grew enough. They never had enough good groceries. They didn't have good nutrition. They didn't have solid doctrine. The, the little fun Christian music songs are not going to hang in there with you. I'm sorry. When persecution comes and you're sitting in a jail cell by yourself, you're not going to get by by singing a, a Christian song to yourself. But you will if you got the word of God hidden in your heart that you may not sin against him. You will. But you're going to have to have it in there. It's got to be put in there. Thy word have I hid, past tense, in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's in the past that I put it in my heart that I would have for in the future when the beatdown comes, I'll have it there that I can draw off it. I need it. It's got to be put in there beforehand. The whole body, let me keep going, I'm sorry. Uh, 12, let's see. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've been improved, not from the old man, but I've been made into the new man a new man that's full of the unity of faith of the Bible, of the, of the gospel, of the image of Christ, the mind of Christ, the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're looking to be developed unto. It's not enough to just have the gospel. It's enough for salvation, but not to run the race well with endurance. We're going to have to have more that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, every part does its share. No lazy ladies and men. Every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of mind. But indeed, verse 21, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former self, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then it says what the old man looks like and what the new man looks like. I got to be reminded, part of the edification of the saints, part of that is, is I come in and I say something and Alva goes, man, that sounds like the old man talking right there. It's one thing, a lot of guys that deal with uh, recovery from drugs and alcohol, um, addictions, is they got to be real careful not to go and talk about war stories of how it was in the past, because it's stimulating the mind towards the carnal and the perverse, because uh, you know what you did in the party and when all this was going on, you know what you did. And so when you, I don't want to dwell on those things. That's not what the new man dwells on. The new man dwells on good things, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is pure. Dwell on these things, not whatever's wicked and, and awful and deceitful and all that. So, we do have a really nice and loving group of people here. And I've, if I had to guess, I'm sure you've all heard a message similar to this in the past. Probably not as good as this one, but maybe. Um, <laughs> but um, 
it's just, it's not that we don't know that we're supposed to grow spiritually or that we're supposed to act in this way, that we're supposed to be developed as believers and that we're supposed to pour out our spiritual gifts on other people. But it's part of the reminding one another what it says right there. You know, we speak the truth and love to one another. We all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, edifying of the body of Christ, speaking the truth and love, that we grow up in all things into him who is the head. And then it says that we're all joined and knit together. When you're injured, I'm injured. When you're happy, I'm happy. When you're developed, I get to see you grow spiritually. One of the funnest things that happens to me in town that happens periodically, it's not necessarily people that I've seen here. It's people that I run into that I've had some aspect of ministry to in the past, and I see them in town and they're doing well. And I can talk to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to church, and we got our kids in church, and uh, my son got saved last I, I ran into a girl the other day, and I know she had got off track real bad. And to see her, and she had gotten remarried, and she was clean, and her eyes were bright, and she was talking about, you know, being in the Word of God and growing spiritually, oh, man, it thrilled me to death. I called Andrew. I was like, man, you're not going to believe this. I mean, I hadn't seen this girl in four or five years. I had to tell somebody it was so encouraging to see a person recover and and to know that you had the part in edifying that person that's part of your calling as a believer not all the work goes on in the fellowship yes you make sure that you're working as unto the lord whatever you're doing whatever you do but help us out in here too (laughs) consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart hebrews 12 says So as we watch our country degenerate, we can get in this bad habit of kind of losing our zeal, kind of being discouraged. And I want you to get over that. Be encouraged and be an encourager to other people in the fellowship. Like this is the body of Christ and this, the body of Christ is working and we'll see an outpouring of that out there. And when we see that out there, and then you'll have those experiences of people from the past saying, man, right here, you rescued me. I was, I was almost drowning and you pulled me on the boat and I thank you. And when you see that and you know that you brought a person into the kingdom and they were developed and they're growing spiritually, they don't have to be here, but we're having an effect on the kingdom of God as a whole in our community. And we're seeing the increase, God's increase in the community. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in doing good. In due season, we shall reap If we do not lose heart, we shall harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Many times the household of faith is harder on each other than anyone else. We're very merciful to people outside the household of faith. But man, we are ruthless dogs to the inside. I I don't know if you saw that. uh, Alistair Begg, and he said something about going to a wedding. If a person was a homosexual, if he could go to that wedding or whatever. And... You know, we don't have to agree with every single thing that every Christian ever says. But that guy's been preaching the Word of God for 40 or 50 years. And he makes one statement and and Christians are ready to burn him at the stake. And you don't know the whole conversation and you don't know the spirit of which that sentence came from. Have mercy, believers. Don't eat your own. Have mercy on the brotherhood. Encourage one another. We could go to that person privately and say, man, I disagree with what you said back there. That, that was, you know, uh, Priscilla and Aquila went to Apollos and they said, hey, Apollos, I mean, I don't think you know the whole deal here. Christ has risen from the grave and he sits today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And Apollos is like, oh, I didn't know that. Just tell them the truth. Don't beat them down. Build them up. Edify the saints. That's the point of the, of the body of Christ. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Bible says that we as believers are to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and that we're to grow spiritually. Anyway, I give you all that. I I pray that that helps you today. I pray that you're careful with your words with other believers. I pray that as you have a spiritual gift here in the fellowship and you know who you are, that you feel convicted in your little heart of hearts right now and say, man, I got to get going. Because the kingdom of God is reliant on every single person that's in the kingdom you remember that uh it's an old poem about a a horseshoer you know and it's for the want of a nail the horse loses his shoe right you remember this anybody for the want of a nail the horse loses his shoe for the want of the shoe 
the, they lose the horse for the loss of the horse, you lose a rider. For the loss of the rider, you lose the battle. For the loss of the battle, you lose the war. For the loss of the war, you lose a nation. All for the loss of a nail. It all starts with the nail. Every individual nail in those, you're so, such a tiny little part that holds the shoe on the horse, right? Every one of you is, maybe you're just a nail, but you're an important nail. You're keeping the horse prepared for battle. So acknowledge your part, man, and do your part. Whatever part that is, serving in the fellowship and outside as well. Be proud to be a believer in Christ. Be confident in that, knowing that he can use you to further his kingdom, okay? All right. I'll be here after the service if you want to come and pray. If you've got some things you need to deal with. If you've got conviction in your heart right now that you're holding something against another believer, I'm going to tell you that right there will keep you from doing the will of God. It will keep the fruit from being multiplied to you in your life is when you have, um, when you have sin in your life. Whatever, if it's personal sin, if it's sin against another believer, if it's, uh, if it's murderous thoughts against another, adulterous thoughts, whatever you've got going on. We all got our own stuff going on. Whatever you got going on, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do that to start with and then be ready to be used. Look for the opportunity to serve him. If you fall, the righteous man falls seven times, but he keeps getting up. But the wicked falls and there's no one to help him. If there's somebody helping you, a righteous man, keep going. Don't stop, okay? All right, let's pray. In the name of Jesus, we come before you, Lord. God of all creation, El Elohim Yahweh is your name. And we come before you and submit ourselves to you and ask that you would use us for your glory. Whatever purpose you have for us, Lord, use us today. Father, if we're supposed to just take care of little kids, if we're supposed to play music, if we're supposed to grow in faith, grow in hopefulness, if we're supposed to be more generous, if we're supposed to be more long-suffering, whatever it is, whatever the purpose in ministry, in teaching, prophecy, healing, whatever the thing is that you have for us to do, Lord, I pray that our hands would be diligent to the task and we would do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think because you're working in us and your spirit is overflowing upon us. Thank you for your goodness to us and your long suffering towards us, Lord. If there is one here today who does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would cry out in repentance and faith, Jesus, save me, and that that would be enough, Lord, that you would begin to grow them spiritually into the image of the Most High God. Thank you for your care for us, Lord. Go with us now and pour out of us rivers of living waters on everyone that we pass. In Jesus' name, amen.